You're listening to Girls with Grafts, a burn community podcast created by Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors, a leading nonprofit dedicated to supporting the burn community. In this podcast, we'll talk with burn survivors, share resources to help with supporting and improving burn recovery, and discuss how to prevent burn injuries. Here are your hosts, burn survivors and Phoenix Society's marketing team, Amber Wilcox and Rachel Kudlak. Hello and welcome back to Girls with Graphs. I'm Rachel Kudlak. I'm one of your hosts and I'm joined today by my lovely co-host Amber Wilcox. Hey there, how are you doing today? I am doing great. I'm really excited for today's podcast. I love when we have more than one guest. Um, So sneak peek, we have two guests today, Um, but it's always fun to bring on more folks to the to the podcast. More friends to the party, right? So uh, yes. <laughs> we've got a full party with us today. Uh, but before we kick off, I understand that you have a quick shout out. Uh, yes. So I'll let you kick start with that before we get started. Yes. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out to Johnson Controls. Johnson Controls is a Phoenix partner and they are a global leader in fire safety and suppression technologies, helping to save lives and protect people around the world. You can learn more about Johnson Controls by visiting their website, which Amber has listed below at www.johnsoncontrols.com. So yes, without- we want to send them a special thank you for today's episode. But I, yes, if you want to kickstart and get introduce our guests? Yes, yes. So we have two bios to read today. So bear with me for a few moments. But um, I'm so excited to have Tony and Jamie on the podcast today. Um, Tony Gonzalez was burned on 95% of his body in February 1997. The accident was caused by a propane gas explosion at a friend's vacation cabin in Wisconsin. Tony spent the next nine months in the ICU before spending another two months in a rehab before returning home to the Chicago area. He had over 80 surgeries total and thanks his strong, close-knit family for their endless support and guidance throughout his recovery. In 1998, Tony met the founder of Phoenix Society, Alan, and his wife, Delwyn, during a peer support visit at Loyola Medical Center. He went on to attend Phoenix Phoenix World Burn Congress one year later and was trained as a peer supporter in the pilot program of Phoenix SOAR in 2001. Since then, Tony has been actively involved with Phoenix Society and the burn survivor community. He currently serves on the Phoenix Society's board of directors and gives back to the organization in many ways, including his philanthropic support. And along with Tony, we have Jamie Nito joining us today. He was burned on his 20th birthday in a backyard fire accident. He went on to spend six weeks in Loyola University Medical Center's ICU, and another five weeks in a rehab center. During his stay at Loyola, Tony visited Jamie through the Phoenix Store program, and the soul and that soul visit changed his outlook on life completely. Since recovering, Jamie has become a Phoenix Store peer supporter and tries to support the burn community as much as possible. He went on to finish school and became a member in the PGA of America. Jamie married his wife in 2020, and Tony stood by his side as his best man. Jamie is proud of the work he has done with Tony's guidance, and this year he celebrates half of his life as a burn survivor. So welcome, Tony and Jamie, to Girls with Graphs, and thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Looking, Looking forward to it. 
Well, we're excited to talk to you today as well. So, Tony, I want to start with you. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your burn injury? I know Rachel gave us a brief understanding of, of kind of your injury um, and maybe what the initial physical recovery was like for you. Yeah, I was uh, burning a propane gas explosion in a friend's cabin in Wisconsin and uh, got airlifted to uh, Minnesota, St. Paul. Spent nine months in their ICU and uh, finally returned home. Spent another couple months in the Rehab Institute of Chicago and uh, started working back towards uh, trying to figure out who I was and struggling with a little self-identity and found the Phoenix Society and met Alan and Delwyn and um, changed my life forever. And that was in 1999, went to my first world burn. Um, which was overwhelming and yet <laughs> unbelievable and uh, helped me to get on the road of recovery of where I am at today. So, um, and then 2001, the SOAR program came around and gave me a wonderful opportunity to give back. Um, I was looking to do that after gaining all the self-confidence and, and the roller coaster ride and world burn provided for me. So, um, so our program uh, started out at Loyola and I then became coordinator and about three years later met Jamie and the rest is history. <laughs> yes, I can't wait to, you know, learn more about how your friendship blossomed, but I want you to talk a little, a little bit more, share a little bit more with our listeners um, about how it, how it felt to finally go home. You were in the hospital for a long time. You were in multiple centers. So how did it feel for you, Tony, to finally get to get to go home? Well, especially for me and uh, many long-term patients, um, you know, 400 miles away from my home in Chicago. And all I knew for nine months was the gurney and the, the uh, tub room and surgeries and um, basically that was my life. If it wasn't for my family who stayed up there and my brothers and sisters who visited, <clears throat> I don't know how I would have got through it. So I just missed home. Um, the doctors there gave me an, an, an option, actually. I could do my rehab there or go home. And uh, I said I wanted to go home. Um, so it was that transition. I needed something to identify with my life before Burns and home was the first place to start. So once I got home, I began to realize, uh, you know, who I was and find out who I was. I couldn't do that in the hospital. Um, although I had great care, I just couldn't do it. So, uh, I really wanted to be home and, and that first hurdle um, is so key in, in recovery. And for me, it was the only thing. I know home was a really big part of my journey as well, but as was family. And I know Rachel mentioned that's a huge part of your recovery. Um, you received a lot of support from your family, correct? During your recovery process. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, about that, like, so you went home and you had this family around you. Can you tell us more about that? Well, it actually even started in the hospital because that's really, um, I don't remember a lot of the, the visits per se. Um, my mom and dad stayed up there in a hotel every day were there by my side. My brothers and her sister came up every weekend. Somebody did. I asked who was coming up. 
but I just remember them being there. Um, and um, it was a bit of a struggle in the beginning because I was really independent before the burn. Um, I was a carpenter, I rode my bike, I was in good shape, I worked hard. Um, but I, uh, the independence is what really, uh, one thing I struggled with. And they saw me as wanting to do that, but they wanted to help so bad, they couldn't even touch me in a hospital. If they got within six inches of me, I flinched. So um, there was that hurdle where we butted heads for a while where, you know, I wanted to do it. No, mom, dad, let me do it. I can do it. I can do it. At least let me try. And, you know, they had to help me with the jobs and um, losing that independence was the toughest thing. But uh, mm -hmm. I think we really figured out at home, we really got a chance to listen to each other that we didn't get the chance in the hospital. Um, and I think we started communicating and they started giving me a little more freedom and I just started accepting a little more of their help. So mm -hmm. that was the biggest hurdle, I think. Yeah, and, and we hear that all the time from survivors is, you know, you're so independent you and you're living your day-to-day -day life, you're going mm -hmm. to work, you're going to school mm -hmm. and then suddenly this accident happens and you do have to rely on others and that, that can be a challenge. I mean, I struggle with that today, just in a normal day to day. I think I can do it all. Um, so I'm thanks for sharing that because I know that is a big struggle for a lot of survivors in that initial healing. So Jamie, I'm going to switch gears to you now. Um, can you, and some of these will be the same questions, but can you tell us a little bit more about your burn injury and that accident that happened? <clears throat> uh, yes, mine was uh, November 8th, uh, 2003 which was, uh, you know, as you mentioned, my, my 20th birthday. I'd gone into work, and um, it was later in the year, and I was working at a golf course, not a whole lot going on. So they're like, who wants to go home? And it being my birthday, I was like, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, came home and wanted to finish up some yard work I had started at, my, uh, at the house. Uh, I cut down a couple of trees, broken up logs. So I figured while I was out there, I'd burn the logs I, I'd broken up, um, you know, just the to burn them up, get rid of them. And uh, as I lit the fire, it had gone out. I put some more fuel onto it and lit it. And as I adjusted something, I don't know, to this day, I think the fumes just wafted their way over, hit the flame. And as I picked up the can of fuel, I uh, got about chest high and it exploded. So, uh, you know, engulfed me head to toe. You know, to this day, um, I, I tell people when I give – you know, any sort of talk or speech, if you're able to, to, to go home and hug your mom, because if she was not home, uh, I wouldn't be here. Uh, she happened to be in the front of the house. I was in the backyard to heard the explosion and heard me screaming and ran back into the backyard and started dumping buckets of water on me to put me out. Um, you know, I, I remembered the whole stop, drop and roll that we learn in kindergarten or first grade or whenever it is. And mm -hmm. I started that, but because I couldn't put out my face, I didn't think it was working. So I stood back up and, you know, everything I had put out reignited because it got more oxygen. And, you know, within seconds, she was back there and got me back down on the ground and ripped the spout out of the side of the house and just continued to pour buckets of water. And then I stood up like nothing had happened. You know, uh, fortunate that, you know, a police officer was just doing his rounds and saw the smoke, thought the house was on fire. So within minutes of all this happening, uh, you know, emergency uh, responders were there right away. So, uh, from, 
you know, start to finish, I was probably on fire a minute and a half or so. But then uh, immediately after being put out, I walked through their garage right onto an ambulance. Um, you know, and I still remember this day, the paramedics asked me how I was and, you know, kind of like, well, it's almost lunchtime. And they're like, well, we really, really can't stop for anything. So we got to get you to the hospital and, you know, got me to Loyola. And I remember getting bounced around and that was about it for four and a half, five weeks. Um, you know, I was put in a medically induced coma and, you know, I remember waking up um, with flashes of things that may have happened and, you know, some of it to this, I still will bring it up to my family and say, did this really happen? And they're like, no, you imagine that one. And did this happen? Yeah, that really happened. You yelled at the nurses and, you know, things like that. But uh, yeah, I spent six weeks at Loyola and another five and a half at uh, Rehab Institute of Chicago. And, you know, a lot like Tony, all I wanted to do was get home. But even when that day came, I, I just remember being scared because I was like, am I ready to go home? What's what's home going to be like? You know, and it wasn't, you know, I know for a lot of burn survivors, it's going back to the scene of where it happened. It's tough for them. And it wasn't so much that. It was the uncertainty of I was in college. Could I go back to school? And, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield made that very apparent that I needed to go back to school in order to stay uh, on my mom's insurance. So that wasn't a. Uh, that wasn't a question I really had, uh, you know, had answer for me. Um, but just what life was going to be like once home was safe, but it also wasn't because who knew what life was going to be like once once I got back there. Mm. So it was during your time, I believe, in the hospital, correct, that you met Jamie or, or Tony met um, and you met. Um, how long after your injury did you meet him? And do you want to talk? So you guys are obviously friends now. Um, I, or at least I think you consider yourself friends because he was your best man in your wedding. Hey, so, uh, you know, we're still, <laughs> still feeling it out 20 years later. Still on the fence. <laughs> but but uh, do you want to talk a little bit about how you met Tony and um, how that shaped your recovery? Uh, yeah, so I, I remember getting taken out of the ICU to a, a step-down room at Loyola, and our social worker uh, at the time, Barry Bennett, came in and said, hey, there's a program that we have where other burn survivors come in, and, you know, we have this guy, Tony, who willing to come and sit and talk to you if it's for five minutes or an hour or however long you want. You know, are you okay with it? And I said, do, do I have a choice? I'm, I'm laying in bed. But uh <laughs> You know, I, I, it was one of those things where, no, I think it's good because as wonderful as the nurses and the medical staff and, you know, having my family there, talking to somebody who'd gone through what I was going through, uh, I was like, yeah, I, I should do this. And I just remember Tony walking in and, you know, it was, I don't know if awkwardness is the right word, but it's just, I don't know what to talk about just yet. But then, you know, Tony mentioned that he played golf. And I think from that point on, he spent two hours in my room and I don't know how much burn survivor talk happened. Um, <laughs> if, that's, if that's a thing, but there was a lot more uh, life talk. Just, you know, Tony said, I, I did all these things and I'm finding a way to do it. And, you know, but he, he was up front with me just saying, you know, you never know if you're going to be able to be, do something that you used to do, but it's, it's, you know, through reconstructive surgeries and everything else. Who knows what the pops possibilities could be. And, you know, I think that was very important because it told me, hey, it, it's possible, but it wasn't a false hope type of thing. 
you know, which I think I would have been worse if like, yeah, you're going to be fine. And, you know, I, I wasn't able to get to where I'm at, but you know, he, he, I think, you know, the, what started us off on the right foot and, you know, what's still keeping us friends today is it was, it was bluntness. He said, this sucks. This is going to be one of the worst things you'll ever go through. And there was, you know, no sugarcoating it. And I, you know, to this day appreciated that it, he was as, as blunt about it as he was because, you know, I needed to hear it from someone who'd gone through it and it was in my shoes. So, you know, hearing it from Tony and then stepping out into the world once I was ready, I was like, okay, you know, Tony kind of prepped me for this. So, you know, people are going to stare and they're going to whisper behind your back and this or that. But, you know, if you do what you want to do and, you know, shut them up that way. Exactly. Yeah. And what you're talking about is our Phoenix door program. And, you know, now today we do offer that in 80 plus Mm -hmm. hospitals and burn centers across the country, which is crazy when you think back in 2020 or 2001, Tony, you were part of that pilot program and just truly how far that that program's come in the past 20 years. Um, But I would love to know from both of, you know, your perspectives as one, a survivor, but also as that peer supporter, kind of why peer support is so powerful and why it's so important for survivors. So Tony, I don't know if you want to, you want to go first and just share a little bit more about that power of peer support. Well, um, I'll just say one thing. I just, uh, later on, I found out that that was the reason for Alan starting this, uh, being society. Um, and I never knew of any peer support at any level, really, when I was in the hospital. Um, sometimes it just happens. And it kind of just happened that there was a gentleman about three, four months ahead of me about the same age. I found this out later through my parents. And they could actually communicate through his parents about what might happen, what the future might look like for me, because like so many other families and parents, and <laughs> we know zero about burns. Um, you know, the doctor came in and said, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, we're gonna do that. And if that doesn't work, uh, we'll try plan B. And my mom said, what is that? And my doctor said, I don't know. Uh, if it'll save my son's life, do it. I don't know what that means, but you know, I'm, and there was that bridge of trust, but, mm-hmm. um, but without peer support at all, I had no vision of the future. I came home and I started Googling things and burn survivors and, and, and just trying to find people that identified like me. Uh, I got online and started talking to people and then finally found the Phoenix Society when Alan and Delman visited me. But um, there was no formal training or formal burn survivor that I could talk to. So I had to watch them go by back and forth. And when, um, you know, I had to listen to my mom and dad. They got a good, really good understanding of what was the future was going to happen without any formal training of anybody coming in and talking to them. Mm-hmm. So they, my mom shared a story. They, they shared Christmas cards with them and everything. They got real close to them because, um, you know, they fed off each other. And I think that's what the importance of the sword program as Jamie touched mm-hmm. on it. We just found a commonality and, and just let it roll. Mm-hmm. And it, it was interesting one <clears throat> Christmas card that my mom got a couple of years later from this gentleman's mother. Um, 
and it said uh, that he had walked, he had ran half a mile. He was a runner before, previously, from what I know, and he had run half a mile. And his response as a bird survivor was, it was only half a mile. And these were myself and him, you know, two people that spent months and months in an ICU, but yet um, my parents got a perspective from that card of what the journey was gonna be after I got home because they didn't know what to expect either because they had no one to talk to. <laughs> um, and that came full circle and my mom took the sword training too, along with me. <laughs> and I think that meeting in original meeting in the hospital with the other gentlemen's um, parents um, woke them up as well as, as to the power of peer support. So <laughs> I saw a patient at Loyola and then my mom saw his mom <laughs> and she came back and she told me, she goes, within minutes, we were finishing each other's sentences. Aww. And so that's where the power of peer support, I see it as it just transcends into something, just not a visit one one-on-one -on -one talking. It's a true, true connection. Um, mm -hmm. And then that's why I became coordinator. Um, I actually got a little too close. I'll share the story real quick. <clears throat> Two patients that I saw, I spent hours with their family and I got a taste of what happens in a burn unit. Um, I lost two people that I talked to in two weeks. So Jamie touched on it about the false hope and that just made me realize, you know, hey, did I give them false hope? I did what I could, I told them I tried to inspire, I tried to do everything. And my social worker, Barry Bennett said, yes. He said, for those two hours, you gave them more hope than they ever had. So that's when I kind of stepped aside because I was seeing big burns uh, and became coordinator. And, but still, I still wanted to be part of this so much. And, and then being coordinator taught me even that much more. Mm -hmm. That I could see it more from, from the outside and still be a burn survivor and still see patients myself. I just had a choice. You always have a choice. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the beauty of peer support. Yeah. Thank so you so Jamie, much. Oh, yeah, thank you for sharing that, uh, Tony. That was a definitely, I'm sure, a hard thing to, to see in the unit. Um, but Jamie, I had a question for you as well. I mean, or, or both of you, I think as you know, the peer support, Tony, was obviously like two ways, right? Once you guys met and became friends, um, Jamie, what was it like to have Tony, right, visit you in that unit? But also you developed a friendship after that, correct? So um, you're both giving each other support, I think, probably still to this day. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, having Tony come in as, you know, nervous as I was just to, because one of those things, you don't want to be alone, but you also, you know, you're surrounded by people who are medical professionals. So you know, at times you're a patient in a bed as opposed to to the person and they try as hard as they can to keep that view of you as a person there, but it's, you know, it's tough. It, it just happens. Um, you know, so having, you know, Tony come in who had just six years prior gone through his own, you know, so, you know, my mind was still pretty fresh to say, hey, you know, yeah, I, I you know, I'm sitting there at five and a half weeks in the ICU and he's like, I spent uh, 
I spent nine months and I was like, oh, well, what, what am I complaining about then? You know, but, you know, Tony helped put it into perspective. And it's like never, never downplay your injury compared to, to someone else's. You know, and it, it's kind of the opposite of comparison of being the thief of joy. You know, in, in our instance, comparison is a thief of your recovery in a way. You know, someone who's burnt 20% compared to, you know, me who's 65 or Tony who's 90, 93, 95, we're all going to react different to it. You know, uh, my 65 is someone else's 85. You know, it just depends on what, who you are before it happened and the support you have around you. And, you know, I, I can honestly say without sore, I don't, I may be where I'm at, but I don't think it would have happened as quickly or, you know, I, I wouldn't have the resources that were there, mm. you know, cause after leaving Loyola and then going to rehab uh, Institute of Chicago, which I think now it's called the Shirley Ryan ability lab for, you know, uh, whoever put paid the most money, put their name on the door type of thing. Um, but even, you know, coming home, going to my first support group meeting at Loyola and then seeing Tony there, you know, it was the immediate, like, I got a friend here, you know, um, you know, and from then on, like exchanging numbers and, hey, Tony, I'm really struggling with this. And, you know, yeah, it was immediately after the accident, but they're still today. I'll, you know, call them up and it's maybe not necessarily a, a support talk, but just, you know, talk about whatever's going on and. You know, in a way, I'm sure he gets something out of it and I get something out of it. So it's, yeah, it's, I, I don't know if it's a rare occurrence, the, the friendship that we have post-injury. You know, I'm sure I've, I've met a couple others that, you know, they're friends, but, you know, it's, it's, I, uh, I hate to inflate his ego even more, but, you know, the reason I am the person I am today is because he spent that time in my hospital room and he's going to tell you, I can't blame him for all of that, but but I do. Tony, would you agree with the sentiment though, that um, you kind of also received support from Jamie as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, um, you know, one of the things I, I remember from, you know, one of the first things you uh, are there as a peer supporter is you're not there to be a friend. You're there to provide inspiration and hope. And it's not like I fought it or anything. It just happened. Um, with the golf, I think. Um, and um, we're actually a lot alike. We're like brothers. We're, like, we're a lot alike. We, we love to dish I'm it a, out. I'm a much we, younger brother, but yes. <laughs> As he dishes it out for you, Tony. <laughs> yeah, we love to dish it out. And then that'll come back to bite Jamie when he doesn't expect it. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, the whole friendship, like you said, I don't know how rare it is or if it's not rare or whatever, but, um, you know, hey, I just wanted to go off and um, I guess I wanted to actually, um, being this peer supporter just gave me the uh, joy. And, and the first time we walked out on a golf course together, it was like, hey, you know, I came back a couple other times. I showed him the glove that I use, and um, I think that put a little twinkle in his eye, too. <laughs> uh, you know, I was determined, and that's what I kind of wanted to, to show him. And I, and I saw his determination, too. And the day we stepped out on the golf course together, it was just like it came full circle. Mm -hmm. It was like I knew, I knew I got 
a friendship out of it. He got a friendship out of it. He got knowledge out of it. I got knowledge out of it. Um, and the growth was phenomenal after that. It just kept happening. But um, it's uh, kudos to the spear, peer support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think you guys definitely have a very special friendship and certainly our store peer supporters, you know, become friends with their survivors. Um, but I think with your love of golf, which I know we'll dive into in a little bit here, um, definitely solidified that friendship between the two of you. Mm, for sure. Well, Jamie, I also understand you're passionate about patient education. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about why that's important? Um for you, you know, providing that patient education? Uh, and a, a lot of it has to do with just general pub, you know, people don't know what happens when someone is burned. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hate to say it, and I've told this to many people, my only image growing up of someone who was burnt was Freddy Krueger from, mm-hmm. you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And it wasn't a great image. And, you know, part of I, you know, my early thoughts is like, is that how I'm going to look? You know, and I know that's a vain thought, but it's also like, that's the only person I have ever seen who was burnt. Mm. I'm like, and that, that, is that what happened? You know? And like, I didn't want to look in a mirror. I didn't want to do any of that. You know, and the hospital staff at Loyola did a great job. And, Mm. you know, the, what, what Phoenix society puts out now is leaps and bounds of what, you know, the information I got, it's just all a growth process. You know, and I think the educating the patients and their families is a huge step in getting a positive outcome in their recovery. You know, I know when I left Loyola, we had all the information for Phoenix Society and, you know, we had the support group information uh, for Loyola. And I think at that point, like the, the online forum, the online chats were just starting. So it was a brand new thing. And, you know, that that's taken off. I know that's that's a huge huge thing now within in the society. But I think that education of the patients helps ease some fears um, and also just prepare them like, hey, you know, it's a terrible thing that happened, but here's all the support material you have. And if you, if you do this, A, B, and C could happen. You know, not saying if you don't, a great outcome is, isn't achievable as well. But I think with the more now it's like anything, the more, you know, the, the, the more you grow. And I think as patients, the more we can learn about ourselves and what may happen medically and emotionally and physically and mentally, we're going to be, I guess, better prepared, <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. as it hits. Like I remember, you know, I dealt with a lot of PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dealt with medication withdrawal from being on a morphine drip. And I remember just not having those answers until I reached out to somebody. And I think the more we tell patients like, Hey, you were hooked up to a, you know, a narcotic drug, this could happen. And this is a traumatic event. And, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder is a possibility. Depression is a possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, all those things. I think the more we know about it, the better off, like if it does happen, you know, I always, you know, hope it, it doesn't hit people. And I, I think the majority of people do do battle some sort of it after after their injury, but I think the more they know that it could happen down the road, it's like okay, all right, I knew this might happen. Let's let's tackle it head on. I think that's great because patient education in general. I know when you said your first your only interaction with the burn survivor was Freddy Krueger. Like when I was burned, my husband and I were like, 
had no idea to what degree being burned was like, and you're shaking your head. So I assume you also thought that way, but to the degree of we, we had no idea, like this kind of whole story unfolded of all of the things that you go through. And, and even after I left the hospital, like uncovering, Oh, there's this whole world of people out there, right. That support burn survivors and whatnot. But until we had been educated about that ourselves from our hospital, there was really no understanding or awareness of kind of what, what that was like. Um, and that can be really tough to kind of yeah. have no idea and walk into. So even today I try to not only create awareness of right. The people that are burned, but also create awareness for those like outside of that, of like, Hey, this is what, if this happens, this is kind of what you may go through. Cause I think, um, like you said, there's a very jaded version of what, what yeah. a survivor yeah. looks like. You know, I know it's been kind of addressed within the Phoenix Society too, is burn survivors portrayals in movies and TV and everything. And I know that's just fiction and it's a story, but it's still the same, you know. I mean, I say that, but in turn, I think I'd make a great villain in, in a movie or a TV show. So, but it, it, it is that negative portrayal. And I think giving patients the tools helps them better. If someone, you know, I know Tony's done a big thing with, uh, uh, Barbara and best and all that other stuff uh, prepares you to, Hey, this person's staring at me. Well, let's not get, let's not get mad about it. Let's go. Hey, would you like to talk to me and ask me about what happened? I'm happy to tell you, you know, or anything along those lines. So I think the better prepared we are, you know, the better prepared we can, we can handle what the public may throw at us. Absolutely. And I think we can definitely share some of those resources in our show notes as well, because I think that's really important is how to address staring. Tony, um, as Jamie mentioned, you've been involved in that as well. But um, especially for someone who's been burned, right, as a facial burn survivor, um, unfortunately, that does happen. And folks sometimes don't always say the nicest things. Um, <laughs> Jamie's laughing, so I'm sure he's experienced that as well. Yeah. Um, and so how you address that, I think, is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. A lot, that's a lot where the, it comes from the confidence. And I so wish I had had a Jamie come visit me in the hospital. It would start things um, rolling a lot faster and, mm -hmm. and deal with what Jamie was talking about, the reality of it um, and making it real. Um, you know, I came back from surgery, my hands all wrapped up and, um, you know, my mom said they only took what they had to and they took six fingers. I was a carpenter. That's the way I was going to live my life and be my career. And, and that's how I was going to, you know, support myself. So me and my little humor ways just said, no, that's okay. They, you know, just throw them in the garbage. They weren't very useful anyway, because that's all I remember. But um, gaining that confidence is, is what we teach. And that, that that's really huge when you have a, a facial burn. Mm -hmm. And having, having that first contest having somebody come in or somebody say something to you. The last day I was discharged, a nurse said something that sticks in my mind today and just resonates. And I want to put it up on a wall somewhere. Um, she said, get back to what you love the most, the quickest. Um, and that started my memory of who I was and that I liked photography and golf. And, and um, you know, that's where I started. So it's that confidence, that self-confidence that is so hard to come by. And that's why, mm -hmm. you know, I love to do the workshops and love to teach people that, that, you know, hey, you know, 
the first thing I know I wanted to do when I caught somebody staring and looked away and looked back and they're still staring is go over and punch them in the face. <laughs> and while that would <laughs> satisfy a lot of things, it wouldn't accomplish really much. Mm-hmm. Um, so we teach how to deal with that, how to smile and say, you know, that's all I care to talk about today. You may not feel like it. Mm-hmm. You may not talk about it forever, but you may not at all. Mm-hmm. I was burned in a house fire. Thanks for asking. And just like what Barbara and we teach, it's, it's made a whole difference in my life as far as self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I yeah. Think, you know, Tony imparted that on me. It's, it's not an easy, for anybody. I mean, burn survivor or not, having self-confidence isn't always an easy thing. And I remember I, Tony and I are similar and we use humor to diffuse a lot of situations and we both kind of have a twisted sense of humor. And I remember people asking me what happened to your face and I just asked them what happened to theirs, <laughs> you know, and if you fire something back at them like that, they usually like, uh, well, you know, mm-hmm. no, that I, I love using hum- humor too. And, you know, I, I think part of those early peer support visits that you both share, and I'm sure other survivors can relate to is it's just about seeing a survivor dressed in a normal outfit when you're in the hospital and just someone walking and talking normal and back to their day-to-day life. Um, You know, for me, I grew up going to a camp for burn survivors. I didn't technically have, you know, your Phoenix store peer support visits, but I was surrounded by other survivors who were older than me and younger than me, who just, we were all just living life. We were swimming, we were biking, we were just doing fun activities. And I think just seeing that self-confidence can really, really just turn a survivor, especially early on and give them that hope and inspiration that they need. Yeah. I think one thing you said, it, it gave me the first sense and it might've been the same for Tony and others when I got to put on real clothes and not wear a hospital gown, I was like, Oh, this is <laughs> horrific. You know, so it was, it was one of those things of just taking off a gown and not having to wear the hospital booties and putting on real socks and shoes. And, and uh, granted it was just going from one hospital bed to the other, but you know, I got to feel myself again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know for me, it was always that first shower at home after surgery. So when I, and I could wash my hair and feel clean. And like you said, put on my own clothes at home. That was, that was always the best feeling. (laughs) Um, But before we, I want to definitely talk about golf and I know we have an upcoming golf outing, but before we dive into that, I, I, you know, we're just talking about self-esteem and self-worth. So what advice would the both of you give to a survivor who's struggling with their self-esteem and self-worth? Jamie, I'll, uh, I'll let you go first. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, as confident as I am now, there's every day I wake up and I can't say it's a struggle, but it's like I look in the mirror and it's not the same person as it was 20 years ago, you know, um, but I, you know, what I hold on to is my wife tells me I'm handsome. So, you know, I get, uh, I got that. So, but to struggle is to be human. So I think there's no, you know, the first thing is there's no shame in it. Don't think that you have to be at a certain point um, with your, with your recovery. There's no timeline. There's no, you know, Oh, you're six months out. Well, you should be at this point already. That's, you know, that's, that's not the thing. And I, 
let it let it come naturally and the biggest thing for me was just easing back into things that were part of my normal not normal i guess normal but i know that's that's a it's a weird word anyway but of my life before i got hurt hanging out with my friends going to a mall going to the movies you know it was taking those little baby steps to kind of hey well, I, I sat in a movie theater for two and a half hours and i felt fine okay you know it's a little notch in the wind column um for me those little things helped to boost you know that that self-esteem and that confidence I think it, that's a, a big point of like not trying to tackle the world right in one day. So taking like small steps along the way, you know, I always set like very, very small goals, even if it was like going outside that day, right? Like that was a big win for yourself. So I think that's so important of like not looking at it as like, I have to tackle the world today, but rather, like you said, going to the movie theater today, like that's going to be my first accomplishment. I think that's huge. Uh well, switching gears a little bit, um, I know that you both love to play golf, as you've talked about, but both of you have injuries to your hands, um, as I understand. So you weren't sure if you would ever play again. Um, I'm going to open this up for both of you, but how did you overcome those physical injuries um, to get back to playing that sport that you both obviously have a very big passion and love <laughs> for? Well, um, I was going to say, so I'm talking about its perception and and getting out there and I know it sounds simple, um, it's a learned thing, but uh, getting over that fear of not of putting yourself out there and putting yourself into a slightly uncomfortable situation, kind of testing yourself. And that's part of the baby steps thing. Um, I go back to, you know, getting back to what you love the quickest. And um, when I went back to school, we had to, for architecture school, every semester do a project and get up in front of eight deans from around the country and present our work. Well, um, for me, I became the focus, not my work. I had a project sitting in front of me and I thought everybody was staring at me, not the project. So I think in that point that I actually put myself in that position, went to school, and did that, um, just getting over that fear and just, uh, like I say, being a little uncomfortable. I remember the first time me and Jamie walked in uh, on a golf course. And maybe it wasn't the first time. Jamie, you can probably got a better memory of me because um, you're slightly younger. So um, we walked on a golf course and we walked back to the, the, the farthest tees, the championship tees, the play. And I'm like, Jamie, yeah, I'll, I'll I can take you down from there. So we walked back and we walked by the starter and he gave us a funny look, a real funny, just really uncomfortable look like, what are you doing there? So Jamie got up and striped one down the middle as far as he can hit it. And then I got up and put one down the middle, not as far as I can hit it. And you should have seen the look on that starter's face when we walked back off that big tee. He was embarrassed. His face was red. He, he had a perception, perception of us. Uh, and unfortunately, I think it's up to us to change that perception. Um, and that, it shouldn't be on us, but it is. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the golf outing came about with a, uh, my friends did a softball fundraiser because I also played softball. While I was in the hospital in Minnesota and raised some money, 
And he didn't know what to call it. He called it the Tony Gonzalez Celebrity Golf Tournament for some. You know, he didn't know what to call it. But we had 16 teams, and we play on a Sunday, and I saw the video of it. They, uh, It's on VHS. You know what that is, right, Jamie? I do. Uh, I do. Let's just check in. But uh, I got to see it, and um, it inspired me. And But then we play softball, and we had to play five games of softball. Uh, and like I said, I'm a little bit older, so guys were, like, calling me on Tuesday going, gosh, I hurt so bad. So I said, well, I'm just making a one-day golf tournament. And it just kind of took off from there and um, started the Burn Awareness Golf Tournament and struggled with that for a while. And then, uh, you know, after I met Jamie, I said, hey, I got it. I got somebody in my corner that I know can help me make this better and bigger. And uh, sure enough, he did. So that's kind of how that all got started. Um, I lost a little track. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, that's that's perfect. Because um, yes, the 16th annual Burn Awareness Golf Outing is coming up in August on August 7th this year. Um, and you shared a little bit about the history, but I would love to know just from both of you why you love hosting the event and what the event really means to you. Yeah, you know, I I remember playing. I think in the first or second one when it started and. It was like a, a full circle thing, like Tony had said. I got to, to be out there and, you know, to kind of touch on what you had asked Amber was when I entered my reconstructive surgery phase, my surgeon asked, what do you want to do? And I said, I need, it wasn't, I want, I need to play golf again. And he said, all right, well, bring a club into your, or, you know, I brought a club into the pre-op meeting and literally designed my hand around holding a golf club. So you know, that's, that's my advantage over everybody. I'm surgically engineered to, to play, you know, while there's arms. So, um, but yeah, playing, playing in it. I remember the first, uh, you know, outing I played in, I still had a, uh, a, call it a prosthetic thumb, but it wasn't, it was just, they made a mold of my, my left thumb that I could wear on my right hand to help me grip the club. And, you know, three or four holes in, I didn't need it anymore. I realized hand strong enough and you know, kept going. And I knew after playing in the first one that I wanted to be, it was one of those things like Tony got me to be a sore, sore uh, supporter. I was like, I need, I need to be involved in this and, you know, kind of help start small, helping recruit volunteers uh, with the sister and doing some other things. And then, uh, you know, once I had started running uh, my own course, it was, you know, Tony and I talked and I said, well, why don't we bring the outing to, my, to the course I, I run? And, you know, from then on, it was reaching out to people I knew in the industry and uh, friends. And I, I'm going to say people who owed me favors. It was like, all right, now now it's time to let's, let's pay back the favor and get in the outing. And I remember, you know, I know the first one or two were big crowds and then it dwindled a little bit. And then, you know, we got it back and I think the numbers have been growing. And a couple of years we had it at my uh, the one course I ran. It was phenomenal. You know, great turnout and lots of donations and, you know, people leaving with a better understanding of what the burn community is. And I think that's, I know that's what drives me. And I think it's what drives Tony too, is going back to that, that education piece. You know, we, there's, and not to take anything away from those other great causes, you know, cancer and AIDS awareness and, you know, juvenile diabetes, all those great things. 
but no one knows about Burns and the Burn community and how great a community we are, you know, and the, the people that are doing fantastic things out there that are Burn survivors, you know, to, to be able to tell, help tell their stories and help, you know, educate the public on, hey, people just don't disappear after they're in a, in a fire, you know, mm-hmm. life has to continue on and, you know, the work Tony and I are doing is hopefully helping that. To, to send people to World Burn and support other programs. And, you know, more or less, I think a great thing with us is as much as people are tired of hearing the two of us talk at the outing every year, they know where every dollar they're donating is going to. Because we can, we can have another burn survivor in there who's like, hey, I was able to benefit from this. And, you know, I, I can tell the story of how Tony helped me and Tony can continue on that whole chain of how this community is helping its people and how your donation as a non-burn survivor is helping that community. So I think you gave us a little bit about why you love to, you know, host it, Jamie, but Tony, why do you love being a part of the golf outing and what does it mean to, to, to give back to the community to you? Yeah, that's that's what it's all about. It's about paying it forward. And in the beginning, the funds were raised for me because I think my friends didn't have any other idea where to go. Or obviously, they didn't know about the Phoenix Society. But um, after attending my first world burn, um, that's what it was all about for me. Um, so I that's when I started dedicating the funds to sending uh, another two world burn. I wanted somebody else to have the same opportunity that I did to change their life. And um, I think that was the best place to do it, being around other burn survivors. And if the peer support SOAR program worked that well, um, you know, what could it be like having hundreds of people? Um, For me, so for me, that's what it was all about, giving somebody else a chance and an opportunity to have the same um, the same thing I did to better their lives to go on and, and um, we've actually had a couple burn survivors talk there and then first it was just me then it was me and Jamie um, and then it was burn survivors and the coolest burn survivor we ever had was a little seven year old boy who just nailed it and just had the crowd just right in the palm of his hand Um and, and to me, and the education piece comes into play that Jamie was talking about. Now and you got another burn survivor who's offered their experience. And, um, and like Jamie said, I've been to a hundred millions of outings and so has he where you don't know where that money's going. And I think that's why we decided to you know, tell everybody, let everybody know, this is World Burn. This is where it's going. It's going to help somebody and it's going to help somebody else become a uh, peer supporter and go back into a hospital and be able to do what we do. So for me, that's what it's all about. When I, I, I actually come in contact with um, peer supporters that I have sent the world burn through the, through the outing and it just starts all over again. All of a sudden they come back to me and they say, Oh yeah, I got an apartment and I got a, you know, this and that and life is really good. And, and, you know, at World Burn last year, somebody said something to me in the hallway. It was just a little conversation, but I remember it. And, 
it started me on my journey and, and made me rethink what I was doing at World Burn. And, and that's exactly what happened to me. So to see it happen over and over again and um, to know I had a part of that and, you know, and I'm sure Jamie will agree that we, we just, we, we like to see that. And, you know, like I said, when Jamie came in and just changed the outing completely, changed it and made it better. And, and but um, it just grew and grew and grew. And I thought, well, why not just send a whole bunch of people to World Burn? So <laughs> we keep trying. We, we, we really want them, you know, it's out there. Um, you know, please, if you know somebody that, that needs a, a peer support or needs a little lift, you know, they know where to go. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Rachel, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the golf outing and how um, others can get involved? Yes. Yeah. So registration is now open for the golf outing. It'll be here before we know it. Um, so if you are local, it's near the Chicago area. So if you are local or if you want to make a trip out of it, um, please register today. Um, it will be on August 7th, like I mentioned, and we will have all the links in the description below. So we'll have the event information, registration. Um, if you wanna sponsor or support the event, we'll have all of that listed below. So we highly encourage you to come out and support the Vern Survivor community. And I mean, we thank jo Tony and Jamie, just combined your names there for a second, um, so much um, <laughs> for you know hosting the event and supporting Phoenix Society. And you know, I love, how this event can support the programs that brought you two together and, um, you know, World Burn and Phoenix Soar. So I, I just love that, um, how it all comes around and now you're giving back. So we so appreciate it. Yeah, even if your donation or your support or whatever doesn't uh, directly send someone to World Burn, the Phoenix Society has so many other resources and programs that um, for everyone in every aspect of their journey, so mm -hmm. your, your dollars will be uh, used wisely by the Phoenix Society. And um, I'll try to keep up with you and try to keep an update on you on something. And when, they, when the outing comes up, if your dollars did do something in an area where you weren't uh, made aware of, I'll try to make you aware of that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, we have two final questions for you before we end our chat today. Um, if you've seen the show before, maybe you've already come prepared with this, but we um, always ask our survivors two questions. Uh, the first, um, we'd love to know a little bit about what self-care looks like for each of you. So I'll give you a second here and let us know. It sounds like golf is probably one of those things, <laughs> but um, do you want to share kind of what that looks like? Um, yeah, you know, for... Um, you know, piggyback on what Tony said when he was hurt, you know, young, he was athletic and all that. Same thing with me. You know, I was probably, um, I was, you know, I was 20, so I was in, I'm going to say, the best shape of my life. I was active. I played a lot of sports. I, you know, lifted weights. I did all the, the cardio activity, everything like that. So, you know, a big part of my self-care since leaving the hospital is always to kind of be as active as I can. Uh, it's not... Uh, always the easiest, you know, um, along with the, the exterior injuries. I also had inhalation injuries, um, you know, so my lungs don't have the, the strength they, they used to. So being out in the heat, being out in the sun and doing a lot of physical activity, I got to kind of watch myself. But 
uh, that's a big part of it is just, you know, being active. And then um, I, I'd be lying if I said my wife and I don't ind indulge in our desserts. I think that's a big part of our, our, our self-care. You know, we're, uh, we're, we're an ice cream and cookie house here. So, <laughs> Uh, the best. <laughs> you know, we, uh, but I, I think it's one of those things. Yeah, you, you, you know, and I got it from doctors and nurses. Yes, you got to take care of yourself physically. You got to do all that. Wear sunblock. Wear this. Wear that. But I think if we don't, um, you know, if uh, you got Parks and Rex fans here, if you don't treat yourself, sometimes <laughs> you're you're not gonna feel as good as you can. Mm -hmm. You know, and whether it's um, you know, those sneaking a little, uh, dessert here and there, but you know, for my wife and I, it's uh, a trip to Disney every now mm -hmm. and then too, you know? So, um, I think it's, it's those things that, that help with not just physical health, but, but a big part of our recovery is mental health too. Mm -hmm. How about you, Tony? Yeah, I think, uh, just to keep that uh, thought going it's just that fine balance between taking care of yourself being physical and being able to do things physically and taking care of your emotional side too i mean mm -hmm. um i think for me along with that is, is goal setting um just try not to be too hard on yourself i i do that too many times you know i'm out there and hit a bad shot and you're just like why can't i hit a good shot and um, I have to remind myself, um, I have to look down at my hands and look down at the glove and, and, and go back. Um, I think remembering is an important part. Yeah. I don't remember the first couple months they put me in a coma too. And I went back to my mom and I said, what happened in those two months? And she said, are you sure you want to know? Mm -hmm. And I said, absolutely. If I know I've come this far from what I remember, what if I was in a worse spot? Mm -hmm. That only means I came farther mm -hmm. and I, I did more. And um, so that that mental side of it, not being hard on yourself, you know, setting realistic goals, um, mm -hmm. not being not looking too far into the future, aside from the physical stuff, um, and just uh, meeting the meeting the small goals uh, one mm -hmm. at a time. I know. I wanted to wave the magic wand and snap my fingers and I wanted things to be <laughs> like the way they were the day I stepped back in my house. And, and the reality is that it's not, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was home for two days, um, slept in my own room and got up one morning. Mom made a great big breakfast. And I looked at the plate and turned white as a ghost and, and said no and went in the bathroom and, Half hour later, an ambulance came and picked me up and um, drove me to the hospital and I had my gallbladder out. So that new normal, what I thought was gonna be, changed in one day. Um, mm -hmm. It was a rude awakening, but it, it's, it woke me up to um, that whole goal setting and being hard on yourself and being realistic. Mm -hmm. Definitely, it's all about, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about taking baby steps. And it's and celebrating those small, you know, victories and wins and goals that you achieved. And maybe you celebrate with a little dessert. Um, I can definitely get behind that for sure. <laughs> but yeah, our think, uh, sorry, it was just one. Um, it was at a world burn. But like you said, baby steps, Rachel, I heard it was a younger burn survivor who said you recover from a burn injury like you eat an elephant. <laughs> a little bit at a time. 
you know, and it kind of that stuck with me ever since I heard. I was like, you know, this eight year old just, you know, dropped a dropped a truth bomb on us. It's like, yeah, it, you know, and I think too many of us try to, you know, you, I think you even said it, Rachel, you try to take on everything and it's like, well, I can't, mm-hmm. you know, and I, you know, I think once once you're, you know, a burn survivor, it's it's a lifelong journey. It's not hey, I'm done, you know, type of thing. So mm-hmm. definitely. Yes. And sometimes, you know, those kids, they have all the wisdom and they just <laughs> say those things. And it's like, yep, you are so right about that. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes they don't even have to speak. I went back to the hospital in Minnesota and uh, I got in an elevator with a mother and a little probably five or six year old boy. And the mother shielded the boy and and when he looked at me and put him in the corner. And it went down a floor, the doors opened up and I let them get out first. And the little boy slowed down, turned around, looked at me. And, you know, I just smiled. Just let him know, hey, I'm not a monster. I'm not what your mommy was protecting you was from something. I don't know what it was, but, and guess what? He smiled back. And without a word, this is just a little boy. Mm-hmm. And, and me got an education. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Well, I, I know we could talk for hours and you guys both have so many, you know, great stories to share. Um, but I do want to ask your final question, which is all about anniversaries. So, Jamie, I know you have an important anniversary coming up this year. Um, but how do you celebrate your anniversaries? Uh, so mine's weird uh, in that it's not only <laughs> my anniversary, it's my birthday. <laughs> um, so I've never been a big birthday person. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why we're celebrated. I should be thinking, you know, my mom, she's the one who did the work. <laughs> but it's like, it. this one's a milestone because it's it's my 40th birthday. It's my 20th anniversary. So it's, you know, half my life as a burn survivor. Um, you know, it's it's made extra special. Uh, this year we're celebrating. My wife and I are going to take an Alaskan cruise. Mm. So that's uh, that's part of that self-care. Um, I love that. All the, then, the desserts on the cruise too, right? Yeah, the, the all-you-can-eat packages, man. It's... <laughs> Um, you know, but it's, I, uh, I've never been to Alaska. She has, so she's been talking it up and I can't wait and I know it won't disappoint, you know, but the other big kind of, it, it'll happen a day before, uh, the actual anniversary. but, um, uh, I know it's been mentioned. I, I was able and fortunate enough to win the uh, PJ of America's Deacon Palmer award. And I actually received that award on the 7th of November, which is one day before my 20th and my 40th. Oh, um, so, that's amazing. you know, celebrating it this year is going to be a little different. There, there will be a celebrating, um, you know, but in other years it's, it's usually just a nice dinner. Go about my, you know, about my day. I get a lot of, you know, people reach out cause they know it's a, it's a, just a, it's a weird thing. You know, I still, to this day, it's like, okay, it's my birthday. And, you know, so it's like, not celebrating the accident, but celebrating at the same time. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but every year, no matter what, it's it's always for me, it's a time of reflection. You know, I'll look back and, you know, early on it was, okay, it's it's one year of this being a thing. And uh, it's two and I've done this and I've done that. And, 
you know, each year the question that pops up in my head at that, at that time is always, you know, if I could go back in time, would I, you know, change it? And the first couple of years, the answer was always in a heartbeat. I would never want to go through this again. Um, but now, you know, it's, I don't think I would, you know, it's, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of some great, uh, great organizations and do some things for people that I would have never met, meet people I would have never met. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, I, I honestly can say if this accident never happened, I probably wouldn't be married to the woman I am married to today because I don't think we ever would have met. Mm-hmm. You know, as she's sitting across from me, just making a gross face because, <laughs> you know, uh, but it's true. You know, if I if I hadn't gotten hurt, my path wouldn't have taken me to the golf course that we met at. And, you know, I wouldn't be uh, doing all that. But, yeah, it's it's every year. It's just a time of to look back and this year it'll be 20 years of some great things I've been able to be a part of. And, you know, fortunate that, you know, what happened to me, I was able to, to flip around and, and help a few other people along the way. Sorry, very long winded way of answering the question, but yeah. No, that's, that's amazing. Congratulations on your award. And that timing is almost yes. perfect. It'll be a great two days back to back with lots, lots to celebrate. So that'll, that'll be awesome. Mm-hmm. So Tony, yeah. what about, what about you? What do you do for your anniversary? Well, yeah, that'll be fun. I'll be with Jamie and we're going to try to go off a day before hopefully and a day after um, and celebrate some more. Um, I used to think about it in the, the first few as negative. Um, it was a day I dreaded because it was a day that reminded me of what happened. I was standing in the house and it exploded and um, I started a precarious journey in, or into this completely unknown, painful life. And, and that's, what I, that's the way I thought of it. That's the way I looked at it when it came around. It's just like I didn't have time to think about any of my accomplishments because I didn't think there were many. Mm-hmm. But what turned me my mind around on that was for people that hadn't seen me in months. Say I had been doing surgeries or just, you know, hadn't been out much. Um, and somebody saying, oh, you look great. At first I thought, well, no, I don't. But they hadn't seen me in months. So I had been making progress. I just couldn't see it. I wasn't, my eyes weren't open to that. Um, and then I think after a while, it just became really another day. Um, kind of, it went from a negative thought to a day of celebration. I turned it around so much that I forgot about all the negative thoughts, but you know, like I was t- saying earlier, you know, remembering is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I started kind of remembering, kind of celebrating and kind of doing a little bit of both. And to be honest, you know, 25 years and, and some days just went and, you know, my anniversary came and went. I didn't, I forgot. <laughs> I've actually done that, um, you know, and had people remind me and, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's okay. But uh, I like Jamie's idea of rewarding. I was supposed to go to Scotland for my 60th birthday and my 25th anniversary. Um, we'll do it again next year. I got kind of put on hold, but uh, 
it'll be a big celebration and 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 forget about those negative thoughts and and mm-hmm. you know it, it it the day i met jamie it sounds easy i can't say you know <laughs> i'm not gonna you know i'm gonna tell you like it is i'm gonna not sugarcoat it so um just um just remember i think it's a day of reflection um and reflect on the good things. It doesn't have to be an accomplishment. It doesn't have to be anything big. Um, you know, I get up in the morning and I sat and relaxed and had a nice cup of coffee on the deck or something. You know, just something simple that reminds you of what's around you and the people around you, your family and the Phoenix Society. And there's there's just all kinds of people around you that, to help you and, and uh, you know, be part of your new life. That's beautiful. And we really appreciate all the vulnerability both of you had today on our podcast to share, um, really just get in depth with us about your injuries, but also kind of about the challenges you had. And so we so greatly appreciate all of that um, and want to thank you both and are excited for the golf outing. Once again, that's on August 7th. Uh, so Jamie and Tony will be present uh, for that outing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're excited to see everyone there. Definitely come out for a, a fun day of golf and, and um, come see which outfit I'm going to be wearing. And <laughs> see Jamie. I've seen those <laughs> outfits. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a real fun day. And it, it's just uh, a cause that, that tugs on me and Jamie's hearts and, uh, I know I, I don't want to speak for him because when he speaks, he he's gets long-winded and he's a bunch <laughs> of power, but we both, it's, it's the Phoenix Society is so dear to our heart and just the cause of prevention. Um, and we just don't want to see anyone else have to go through um, this journey alone. Um, you're not alone. You have people, you have golf outings, you have... Again, the Phoenix Society. I'm, I'm put on my board of directors hat, but you know, if it's not, if it wasn't for them, you know, I would not be where I am. Um, I use one phrase. I'll leave you with that. I say to everybody, um, I wouldn't be alive without the nurses, the doctors, the medical people, and my family. But I wouldn't be living without the Phoenix Society. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm living every day to the fullest. So thanks. Coming out to the reality. Yeah. Thank you both so much. And we'll see you all very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Girls with Crafts. If you are enjoying this content, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. And we'll catch you in the next episode.